When you enrich the lives of your employees through purpose-powered leadership, they'll grow your business for you. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where you'll discover how to champion a culture of courage and love. Stop dealing with symptoms and get to the root of the problems in your business. This is the Higher Purpose Podcast with your host, Kevin Monroe. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Monroe. And as promised, today's episode is the start of something new for us. We're beginning a series of conversations with people I consider to be purpose-powered business leaders and owners. People who are pursuing purpose in and through their businesses. Today's conversation is rocket fuel to launch us into this new orbit. Joining me today is Gary Adamson. He's the Chief Experience Officer of Storizen Studio. Gary lives to expand the boundaries of what's possible. Through a fortuitous encounter in his college days with noted futurist Lee Kaiser, Gary abandoned his hopes of becoming a physician and instead became a futurist. Join me for what promises to be an exhilarating conversation. In this episode, we're joined by Gary Adamson of Storizen Studios, and you are in for a treat today. For some listeners, this conversation itself will be transformational. So, Gary, thanks for joining us. That's quite a lead-in, Kevin. I (laughs) I hope we live up to it. I think we will. (laughs) I'm sure we will, Gary. I I didn't mean to set you up, but I'm just confident. The time I've spent uh, getting to know you, I think this truly will be transformational for some people. And I want to give a shout out. It's a relational world. And I want to thank our mutual friend, Joe, Joe Pine, yeah. for connecting us and facilitating this conversation. Because, Gary, I had no idea you existed until Joe Pine said, you need to know Gary. Well, it's an interesting thing. Joe's been a huge, huge part of my life. His book, The Experience Economy, we've spent probably the last 20 years developing the precepts out of it together. Um, interestingly enough, a number of people don't know that the last two chapters in that book are about transformation and that that be in the highest form of business. So even back then, <clears throat> Joe was on the line of purpose-driven businesses and what they would eventually evolve into. And as with many things in that book, he was uh, right about that too. Oh, yeah. And, and that part of the book, I loved all of the book, but when I got to that, this whole idea of transformation and, and the transformation economy, wow. So, Gary, before we jump in and get into all of this transformation, what's something you'd like us to know about you that helps people to know Gary in a personal way? Well, I would say that um, I'm at my best. I'm in my element. I love most what I'm doing when I'm creating new things. Okay. Um, I very much enjoy that, whether it's through my writing, uh, through my businesses, or through helping my kids and grandkids create new things. Um, I find that when I hang out with younger people, I see with ever new eyes, and that helps me <laughs> do things differently than what maybe I've done before. So the, the unconventional is the place I most like to live whether it's at home, at work. Um, The concept of vacation is a little bit strange to me because I do (laughs) go on trips, but I don't ever take a vacation from from my life because my work and my life are pretty interwoven. 
same here. My wife goes, you're reading that for vacation? You know? <laughs> I get the same. <laughs> this is fun. It's not work. This is fun. So, Gary, at this point, how do you describe your personal purpose? Well, that's pretty easy. Um, I help people do what they think is impossible. <laughs> well, that's and, easy to describe, maybe. Huh? You said that's easy. It's easy to describe. It may yeah, not be a little harder to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing that is interesting about that is I think all of us um, may not realize just how much we could do. Mm. And it just takes some guidance, some encouragement, maybe the a right suggestion at a right point of time, other times hands-on intervention, whatever it takes. But once someone has done what they thought was impossible, their boundaries blow up. They're, they're never the same after that. And that moment, when that happens, is one of the great moments in life. And so the more of those I can have, I mean, that's the selfish part. But yeah, I get to help these people, but what comes back to me is incredible. So. Okay, so is that what you call a flashpoint moment? It is a flashpoint moment, very much, when you can help people and without get doing any of the math part of vectors, if you can just imagine one vector of your talents and another vector of your passions, and right at the point that they intersect, that's where your magic starts. And you can, by discovering that, do all kinds of different things, but all of them come from your personal essence. And that, when you're live, that's to me when you're living on purpose, when, you, when you've got this sense that I was given these gifts, I was given the gifts of talents, of passions, and a limited amount of time to use them, and I'm, I'm doing it with a good purpose. It doesn't matter what the activity is. Yeah. You're living from the inside out then. Fabulous. Okay. I've heard you say that discovery must be personal before it can ever be organizational. Yeah. Yet your business, the way people would perceive it, is that you're there helping them organizationally tap into purpose. So talk about that dynamic. Yeah, that's an interesting one. It really is, Kevin, because I think when I started and I had the idea that we were about, you know, a pound and a half of organizational transformation and a dash of personal transformation. <laughs> I think I got it almost exactly wrong, as it's turned out over the last 19 years. Um, the reason for it is that very, very senior leadership is who our client base is. All of the C-suite people, all the strategy, the chief experience officers, the chief executive officers, all of those people who want to chart a new path for their organization. Now, many times they come to us and think that that path is going to be, well, we'd like to make this improvement or that improvement. And it's a little bit more incremental than the work that we do. And so suddenly they're being asked to think backwards from a future that they're going to create rather than forward from their current moment. And that takes some trust and some courage. And it all of a sudden occurs to them, I think right at that point, Kevin, that if I'm going to do this in my work, I guess I'm going to have to do it for myself. And so what kind of person am I going to be? What kind of leader am I going to be to pull this off? You know, a lot of people thought that our work was, what's the polite word, pretty far out. <laughs> and uh, they would say, gosh, the people who are in charge of companies are 
at the top of the heap. They've created the very thing. Why would they want to transform it? That would never, but the real key is that many of those people who are closer to the end of their career than the beginning have this feeling of, gee, that's all there is. That's it. I, I was kind of the caretaker of this. I didn't goof it up. But they realize that if they are going to do something, they should do it soon. And when that happens, they start to change, not just their company. And the things they would consider, the things that they would do, the things that they devote themselves to are very different. And so that's one of those flashpoint doing the impossible moments. Wow. Okay. So what is your favorite way of introducing your company and the work you do? Because we're, we're talking about this, and I'm sure there's some people, who's this guy with? What's this company? So tell us about Storizing. Our, our favorite way of introducing it, and again, it's, as you would expect, a little unconventional, is that we don't, um, we don't go out and make presentations. We don't respond to RFPs. People find out about us through our writings or through our presentations or largely through word of mouth of clients who um, are, have done some incredible things. And so what we do is we invite them um, at their expense to come out for a one-day offering and immerse themselves in it. It's a lot better than any words I could say because we did a crazy thing, Kevin. We took all of our own principles and applied them to our own company first. What a thing. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> and, and, and so when they're looking at developing new-to-the-world experiences, they get to spend some time in a place that's already done that. Mm -hmm. Our clients say it's the most powerful teaching that we do. And in that, they can see not only the content that they will be um, gleaning, but the connection to each other as a team, and also, I would say, the hopes for a future that they hadn't glimpsed before. And then they can make a good decision. Is this group good for us to work with to help us do that or not? And we get to make a good decision because we only want to help people who are really already on this path. We're not trying to convert anyone. And um, it's been amazing that a lot of our clients are very accomplished, Baldridge Award winners and all of that, who just see their last milestone accomplishment as a stepping stone to what's next. And we're pretty good for that. Wow. Uh, and what was the founding story? How did Storizen come to be? Well, it came as many entrepreneurial stories start with a dissatisfaction. I had started a, a healthcare marketing and communications company. I uh, grew it like crazy, was a wonderful success. I got to hang out with really great creative people. We worked all over the country. Financially, it was magnificent. We should all be happy, right? Except for the companies that we worked with were a lot better in their ads than they were in reality. <laughs> if you could have checked into the ad for the hospital, for example, it would have been great. We had to check into the hospital and it was hideous. Mm. Most marketing people don't have to worry about that too much because that's not their job. That's, that's operations people who are supposed to fix that. But I had an operational background, so I couldn't blow it off quite so easily. So I went on what turned out to be a nationwide search for people doing the most interesting work in brand experience. I thought we had the brand promise side of it down really well, but I thought the need was in brand experience. 
And that's where I met our mutual friend, Joe Pine, just at the very beginning of his work. I think his Harvard Business Review article had just come out. And I thought that that work was so interesting that if you could build a company that could really help people do what Joe was describing, that that was the key. And so I tried to get my current company to do it and they thought it was too crazy and everybody was really surprised when one of the founders left his company to go on this adventure. And that was in 1999 and my new bright and shiny little thing is almost a teenager ready to go off to college, I guess, as far as how old it is. <laughs> wow. Okay. Have there been any moments in that almost 20 years now or, or yeah. that, that you've uh, wondered if you were crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we should probably should reverse that question. Have there been any moments where I wondered that if I wasn't <laughs> crazy? Um, but the kind of craziness that goes along with inventing or trying to invent and create a future is some of the best kind of crazy because it, right in the beginning, takes you out of the realm of just being subservient to conventional wisdom. So there are all kinds of things about our company. I mean, I, one of my close consulting friends, when he looked at the business plan for it, gave me a list of 26 reasons, 26, <laughs> why Sterizen couldn't possibly succeed. Mm -hmm. And he thought it was his personal obligation to go through each and every one of those with me, because I, I think he did have some genuine concern that I was going to blow all the success I'd had in my life up to that point. But he just made me more interested in doing it. Because what we really have made is a very different way of not just doing business, but being in the world. You know, all kinds of leaders talk about wanting differentiation for their company. The problem is they don't want to do anything different because it might be crazy. Well, that kind of craziness we've really embraced and it's led to everything that's happened. So, yeah, the, <laughs> we're crazy on a daily basis. <laughs> all right. So, as I was preparing for this conversation, I stumble on these three kind of core principles, explore, discover, transform. What was the path that led you to putting that together? And, and how are those three connected? Yeah, that's a good question, because that is at the core of our work. One of the things that is at the core of anybody's experience work is since experiences are designed on purpose, uh, intention laden and choreographed and staged, you have to have an orchestrating element for everything. It's something that holds all of the experience together. Those three words and their kind of attendant declaration of what those three words mean, um, mean everything to our company because we make all of our decisions around it. Basically, any decision we make, we say, does it help make, explore, discover, transform, and the declaration true? If it does, we do it. If it doesn't, even if it might be a wonderful financial thing, we don't. Mm -hmm. So it is a core purpose document for the company and for the people in it, even down to the our uh, two-line policy manual. That's another unconventional thing. <laughs> we um, our, our policy manual for staff, the first line is, I will use all my talent to make the theme and declaration true. The second line is, I will love the work. You do wow. those two things, and we're good. Um, so the way that Explore, Discover, Transform came to be is that 
from the beginning, we very much had the idea that we weren't going to make an in incremental improvement. We were going to make a transformational one. And who has made those kinds of mm. transformations throughout history? Explorers of all kinds. So whether they were physical explorers, explorers who invented a new discipline, whatever your biggest definition of explorers would be. And then we studied what they had in common, even though their fields were different. Mm -hmm. Very much they looked beyond the conventional wisdom. They were dissatisfied with the conventional wisdom and thought it was up to them to invent something new. And once they discovered it, their discoveries transformed everything. Even themselves. Now, they weren't always popular. They sometimes ended up in jail. <laughs> there were, there were some, but the forward progress of humanity really depended on those people, and that's who we wanted to be. And so we cast ourselves as guides, and we cast our clients as explorers. And I think so far, about 42 different explorers have shown up at Storizen at various points in time. So um, we're pretty committed to it. Okay. Now, a moment ago, you mentioned a declaration that yes. goes with these. So what's the declaration? Well, the declaration is um, if Jim Collins were here, uh, our, my friend from Boulder, he would say it's a vivid description of the future of a company. And you want it to be so vivid so that the people can know that that future already exists today. It's not some pipe dream of, you know, gosh, in 20 years, we're going to be a no, this is what we are becoming. And in fact, we are partially becoming it today. Mm. I'm a big believer that, um, you know, leaders have lots of responsibilities, but one of the biggest ones is to be able to define the future and bring it closer to the present. So a declaration or a vivid description does that. And it helps people make that, well, Again, to use a, a Joe Pine term, it helps people act as if that future was already here. Let's act as if it is, and therefore let's make decisions as though it were. And it's a very uh, important thing in making a big change because I think sometimes people wrongly conceive that their current situation is, quote, reality. Um, every now and then we'll have people at the end of a week of at Sterize and be all excited about their work. And then somebody will say, well, it's time to go back to reality. And I used to let that pass, but yeah. I don't let it pass anymore because the reality they're going back to is only one of a whole number of realities. And what they've just imagined and built in there is every bit as real. And that's why you need a vivid description because the current reality has a lot more props around it, doesn't it? It's got all of your daily existence reinforcing that it's true. You need a vivid description to have the alternative, have some power. Okay, so I'm going to do something. I don't think I've ever done this on a podcast episode, Gary, but I'm going to in, uh, encourage you listening to go to the show notes, and we're going to we are going to include a link to the video of your mm -hmm. declaration because. Honestly, I watched that declaration three times on Saturday preparing for this. I, I had to watch it again and again, and it is powerful. So thanks for putting that together. But I, I'm going to encourage you to find, I think it's six minutes long. Yeah. It's about six minutes long. So I'm not telling you to go watch a, a full feature movie. But, <laughs> but six minutes of your time and go to the show notes, find this link, watch this declaration, because it is powerful. It is transformative. Mm -hmm. So. 
Thanks, Kevin. Have you always been fascinated with the future? Um, since my time with Leland Kaiser, that was really the turning point for me. Um, and, Tell us about that. Well, I, I think that, you know, the, the way that I met Lee was in one of those dire life circumstances. You know, those moments where you think everything is terrible uh -huh. and couldn't get worse, and then all of a sudden your whole world opens up? That was me. I was a really accomplished kid. I had everything I tried turned to gold until I, I got scholarships to all the colleges I applied to, and then I went, and then I didn't get into med school. Hmm. And that was a, like a huge, at that point in my life, disaster. How could such a thing happen? Went down to meet with the head of the medical school at the University of Colorado, and he told me that I should take a couple more years to get a biology degree and then reapply. That sounded like the worst idea in the history of ideas. So I said, there's got to be something else. And he says, well, we've got this new dynamic um, head of health administration. I said, I don't even know what that is. He said, well, it's kind of the business part of healthcare. And I walked around that corner that day and met Lee Kaiser, who's been my lifelong mentor. And he very much, everything is, he's a general system sort of guy and he's a future guy. And all of my um, interest in, dedication to uh, the future can be traced right back to that one light out of darkness moment. Wow. And um, the progress that we've helped make in our work is just a small payback to Lee for the progress he made for me. Wow. Wow. I'm just pausing there a moment because, you know, it, it is amazing. Um, and I believe, let me just ask, you've had the opportunity to thank Leland for that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, and, and in a lot more than just words. Yeah. Um, my work, our work, is a huge thank you to him because um, when you're helping people um, – do what they think is impossible, you're helping them develop a completely different future. And not only develop in their mind and think about it and wouldn't that be nice, but to do their future. That's, that's the key thing. And um, so, yeah, he, uh, he's gotten a lot of joy Good. out of what this lost kid who showed up in this program one day was able to do. Yeah. So it's a mutually wonderful thing. No, I just think it's great because I've had conversations with others who who really didn't know the person that was that catalyst for the change of a future or lost touch with them. And here's somebody that, you know, redirected someone's life and they have no idea right. of the impact yeah. they made. So I think it's great. Now, what, this future, you've identified five futures that mm -hmm. you believe are critical to this transformation. What are those? Well, the future of business, the future of leadership, the future of learning, the future of culture, and the future of you. And what I would say, Kevin, is that those are all five futures. There's a lot of work done in each one, but they are of ascending importance. So the future of business is the first one, but the future of you is the most important one. Mm. Mm. Okay, so I found this in, in a video on your website somewhere. I believe this is on your website. If business is going to be different, then leaders need to be different. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Leaders are going to be different then learning has to be different. And I think we're getting into this ascension here that you were just yes. <laughs> You're on it. <laughs> if learning is going to be different, then culture has to be different. And if culture is going to be different, then you have to be different. Different why, different how. Walk us through that. I, when I read that, I, I was just, I was literally mesmerized for a moment. <laughs> Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> I'll have to tell all of our storytellers they're doing good work. Um, I think that there's a lot of talk these days. I wish there was as much action as there is talk about the shortcomings of business and how it needs to be different. You see things that people say, well, just even think about how we talk about work. You know, the most depressing day of the week is Monday because you got to go back to work. And then hump day, I'm half done with this. And then thank God it's Friday, I get paroled for the weekend. And all of the disengagement scores. So everybody talks about how business needs to be different. And businesses themselves, from a marketing point of view, are always looking for differentiation. But they keep swirling in much the same way, trying the old way harder, even though it doesn't work. So if that's ever going to be different, then leaders have to lead differently. That's the only way out of it. If we continue to do what we've always done, we're going to continue to get what we've always got. That's like one of the biggest truisms ever. And so if the leaders are going to be different, they're going to have to learn new things. They're going to have to learn not just about new approaches or new skills or new strategies. They're going to have to learn about new things inside themselves. That's where the biggest learning needs to come from, what they could be capable of, what they are fearful of that they don't need to be fearful of, what their talents and passions are, and where's the highest and best expression of those. I mean, all kinds of things, learning like that is really a um, – an important, important thing. And that is, that learning is a different than just the pounded in, take a test on a webinar and check the box kind of learning. So learning has, learning itself has to be different. And you can't just learn things in a vacuum or in a classroom or in a moment of introspection. You've got to learn it if you're in an organizational context with others. And that's why culture needs to be different. You could learn all these great things and then go out into a culture that doesn't support it, or as a matter of fact, is the opposite of that. And how long are you going to be able to hang in with all of that around you that says, no, nice thought. I know you're a Pollyanna. Let me pat you on the head. But this is how it really is around here. And so the idea that culture has to be different and culture is only just a set of agreements between the organization and the individuals comprising it mm -hmm. of how they're going to be. Now, there are bad culture agreements. There are good culture agreements, but we think there's even vibrant culture agreements where both the person and the company are performing at an elevated best and that's a connected thing. A lot of times people don't think they as an individual have much effect on a thing as big as culture, mm. but they do. Mm. And so that little um, causal link from business through you is an important one. And it leads to the, I guess, to me, the 
indisputable conclusion that when in doubt, work on yourself. And that's all you need to do. <laughs> and you're working at the top of the food chain there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm jotting that one down. That's good. When in doubt, work on yourself. Uh, and it's something else I stumbled across in, in my research. You have a different belief, I believe. Not every organization has a culture. An organization is a culture. Is a culture. Yeah. Say, say a little more about that. I, when, the moment I read that, I'm like, yes. But so many <laughs> folks talk about the culture they have as though it, it was given to them or they right. <laughs> was wrapped up, delivered by FedEx, and they, could, and they didn't know how to return it if they yeah. didn't like it. <laughs> no, cultures are um, of our own making. And whether it's in a multinational company or in a friendship, there's a, there's a culture that exists. And it is just a set of agreements, but it is so integral to the relationship that it just is. It isn't like this external thing that we look at. Sometimes, you know, there's even been articles written about how you can't change culture. Yeah. That's nonsense to me. Uh, again, with all due respect to the people who write those articles, I, I am on the other end of the world from that because I think we can change cultures in a heartbeat. As a matter of fact, I think change isn't all that hard. I think that people really want change. When you look at the statistics of two-thirds of people are disengaged from their work, yeah. and a big chunk of those people, like 20%, are actively sabotaging the work of their company because they hate it so much. I can't believe that people want that in their lives. Right. But the leaders haven't figured out that they could have the power to change the agreements like that. Now, it would require them to change the agreements. It would require their personal actions. You can't write a culture statement. You have to be it. And that's where that every company is a culture. It doesn't just have one gets to the more integral nature of what a culture is and how you can work on it. Okay. I also found these five fundamental beliefs. Okay. I'm going to go back a moment. This, the culture <laughs> thing I'm loving, Gary. I remember working with a healthcare client one time. It was a hundred year old hospital. Mm -hmm. And to, to hear all of them, it took, you know, and granted the culture had been a hundred years in the making. Mm-hmm. And, and there were elements of that. But I remember looking at them and saying, you inherited the culture, but you can change it. You don't right. have to look at, the, look at that and go, well, that's just the way it's always been. Yeah. We have this toxic culture, and we know it's toxic. Like you said, and we're just going to drink the toxicity. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Crazy. Well, I, I know sometimes, and this, this may be difficult for your – listeners, Kevin, so I apologize to him in advance, but I think there's a, a song that kind of gets at what we're uh, talking about here. It's a song out of a Broadway show, and it starts like this, tradition, tradition. Now, I'm not going to sing any more of that song for obvious reasons, but when you think about Fiddler on the Roof, Tevia had his traditions, his cultural beliefs. Mm -hmm that informed everything that he was and everything that he did. 
And then he had a decision to make because his daughters didn't share that. So he could have his culture or he could have his daughters. Thankfully, he made a good decision. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that companies don't realize is that there is this concept of growth by subtraction. We tend to add on thing after thing after thing. And so that 100-year-old culture is like an archaeological dig of past programs and beliefs and all stacked up on each other until it's almost unintelligible. If we would be intentional, we could say, you know, this used to serve. We honor it. It is fabulous. It got us to the place that we are now, but it doesn't serve on the other side of the chasm. And so one of the biggest things that leaders need to do is to be able to make those choices mm. and to leave behind things in a respectful way that aren't going to serve their future. And when you do that, changing a culture is not that hard because a lot of people say, why do we still do it this way? Really? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's a fascinating field. All right. Now to these five fundamental beliefs okay. I read and, and listened to, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. So, uh, Number one, exploration must go outside the bounds. Mm -hmm. Number two, discovery must be personal before it can ever be organizational. We already talked about that. Number three, transformation requires working backwards from the future, not forward from the present. Yeah. Number four, inspiration is always part of the work. And number five, we must vibrantly live our beliefs. And a, a moment ago, you used the word vibrant. And I have to tell you, that's one of my favorite words. Yeah, mine too. Because it, it just, it describes it. Most cultures are not vibrant. Amen. And, and when you encounter a vibrant culture, you are, you are markedly different. Or to use Seth Godin's word, it becomes remarkable. Remarkable in the sense that you remark about it to others. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's yeah. just so different. You have to go tell somebody. Mm -hmm. So walk us through those five fundament, fundamental beliefs and how they manifest. Okay. Well, one of the things that I find is that if, you're, if your goal is to create a transformation, you have to have a different target than if it is to create a uh, small um, incremental improvement. So the first one, explore, exploration must go outside the bounds, is that you've got to look at different things than you normally look at. You know, most companies, and again, I wouldn't want anybody to think that I'm against best practices work. I think it's fine. I think any kind of improvement is good. But as soon as you're looking and studying best practices, you're not outside the bounds. You're still in your own industry and you're just trying to figure out how the smart kid who's sitting next to you is getting better grades than you are. And at worst, you copy off his paper. At best, you do some level of work lower than what the current version is. Mm. That's not transformation. So, and that's practical, not on the boundary. You said you want yeah. to live on the boundary. That, that's that's not on the boundary. <laughs> that's way back in the, <laughs> past the middle somewhere. Yeah, yeah, leaning a little bit from the middle is about all it is. And so, when we work with clients, we take them everywhere to look at things except in their own industry. Hmm. We, if you're uh, a bank, we don't take you to any other banks to study what they're doing. We might take you to a cosmetic store or a toy store or a Holbright, and because what we're after is best principles, not hmm. best practices. 
So when you discover these principles that companies in any industry are doing to revolutionize themselves, you can ask yourself a very important question. If I use these principles in my company, what might I create that is new to the world? That's only gotten if you can explore outside the boundaries of all of the things you think you know about your business, about its industry, about its customers, all of those things. What would that principle look like here? Right. Yeah. And, and what would it cause us to do? And it's stunning when you free people up. And again, people say, well, I'm not creative enough to create a new future. I, I'm just, I'm a leader of the present. And I just nod and smile because as soon as people have a new principle to create with, it's been my experience that everybody's plenty creating, creative enough and can do it on demand. Hmm. And um, they just needed to start from a different place than they had always started before and have a little encouragement. Hmm. So then we have touched on this discovery must be personal before it can ever be organizational. I would just add one thing to it that, you know, organizational experience design is at the core of all this work. It's where most of the action has been and there still needs to be a ton of work done there. But I think in the future, and since I'm always interested in the future, I'm interested in the future of our own work, is going to be one level larger than that, and that's going to be intentional community design. Mm. And I'm not just talking about the architectural things of a planned community. No, how people intentionally live together. And then one level smaller, which is where I think the huge action is going to be in life design. Mm. You mm. designing your life to live it on purpose and that you make choices based on that. The number one course at Stanford right now that nobody can get into is on life design. So I think that there is a very much a confluence of things that is going to make that second one very, very true. Number three about working backwards from the future. Again, it's just getting you to a different place. If you come in and do the standard consultant organizational assessment at the beginning of a project. What are you doing? You're cementing your work in the present time. We don't do that. Yeah. We use our design principles to design the future and then look at our present through that lens. That's the organizational analysis that we do and it. It changes everything. And then what you have to realize is that to create something vibrant, you need to be vibrant. I mean, you can't create something vibrant and not be excited and passionate and all of those things. And so the idea that actually a part of the work, not separate from the work, not the soft stuff, but inspiration is integral to this kind of work. And people learn best when they see other people living their beliefs. And so to us, it was unbelievably important that we basically, if you look at Sterizen and you took a standard consulting company and reversed all of its practices, that's closer to what we are. And so when people see that not only can that work, but it can work vibrantly, mm. that gives them some confidence. So that's kind of how those five are connected, Kevin. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. And, and I'm sure there's some people that are, are wanting a deeper dive. We'll talk about it, how they can get a deeper dive in a few moments. But you already mentioned one thing. I, the, the, uh, I want to ask a question, and I'm asking it of all the uh, purpose-powered 
business leaders, entrepreneurs I'm talking to. And that's, what do you do differently because of your commitment to purpose? Okay. Now, one of the things I already heard, I, I mean, I've heard several, but one of these is you have a two-line policy manual. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that's pretty dramatically different. What's something else that's different because of the way you've, you, you know, you're, you're committed to being different, not just doing different. So how does that show up? Yeah, let me let me give a couple. One on the organizational side, and one on the very personal side. Um, on the organizational side, most consulting companies are set up um, on a billable time basis. That's the just the usual thing. You can count hours. You've got quotas. Bonuses flow from it. You can have phone systems that keep track of how long you talk to a, a client photocopiers that can make sure you charge. Right. People spend a huge amount of money on that and a lot of attention and time, even more than the money. We don't keep track of any of that stuff. All of our, all of our work, our clients, our members of Sterizing. They wow. pay a one-time membership fee, depending on the scope of the work they want. And then we just work to produce the result they want not to produce the productivity that the firm wants. And even beyond that, right from the beginning, we say that 25% of the entire fee is at their discretion. If we didn't hmm. create a transformation together, they can pay all of it, part of it, or none of it solely on their... That's the best way to say we're in this together. We're in it for a different goal. We're in it to transform something, not just to complete a project and have it sit on a shelf. My consulting colleagues told me that I had just given myself a 25% haircut on every project because no client would pay any more than they had to. That has not been the case. Wow. And it really is a, a relational thing that changes it right from the beginning. And it focuses us personally on what our contribution wants to be. It's way beyond the time we put in. Mm. It, it is the effect that we have. Wow. And that's a, that's a very love important it. thing. Love it. All right. Now, was there another one on the personal? Yeah, level? on the personal side, before our clients come, and we also do this as guides, we have a profile that um, basically asks questions, uh, the, the easy ones, uh, like your personal preferences. So if there's colors, drinks, foods, all of that kind of stuff, so that when you come and live with us and do this work, your place is stocked with your favorites, music, um, all of that sort of thing. But also on the aspirational ones, what would you like to become? Tell me a story about a mentor in your life. I mean, all of the, the big ones. And so even though they come as a team, we try to help them achieve their personal aspirations as well and when they show up they're always stunned that all of these things have been prepared for them in anticipation of their coming now when they think about it yeah they we asked them the questions they told us the i mean it's not like a rocket science thing but that we would actually do it and create an environment that said you're here because you have these special talents you're going to be treated in a special way and please contribute them at the highest level you can and see what happens. Well, that's another not very usual um, practice. Yeah. Personal side of things. Wow. And that's why our relationship with our clients goes way beyond uh, 
references or we're lifelong comrades and friends. Wow. I love uh, Gary. There, there's so much that is so rich there. Um, maybe at some point in time, we can unpack a couple of those a little deeper. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask because it, I was getting this sense earlier. I, I mean, I would imagine all of your encounters with client or members in this kind mm-hmm. of journey, all of them are memorable because each is different. So to ask you what, what's, stands out is probably a silly question, but just share what's one memorable and one that hit me as I was listening to you earlier. I mean, some of this is things happen that the teams coming never imagined, right? You know, that they, they probably, I would imagine many of them have transformations the way they relate to one another as a team. Yes, very much. There are people who have worked together for 30 years and, didn't know the person at all the way they do at the end of a week at Sterizing. Wow. And it's stunning. And it doesn't just confine itself to work. I mean, you are right. We could take the next three hours and tell stories that are just, I mean, I I had big hopes for this and big aspirations. And the actual thing that's happened is like three or four times beyond my wildest dreams. So it's been really rewarding that way. I will share one uh, brief one because it gives, well, I think the heart of it. We were very fortunate to work in a transformational project for a new to the world cancer center. Mm. Uh, you don't normally think of a cancer center as a place of inspiration, do you? I mean, there's some grim, grim things that happen there. And, uh, all of the, all of the things that go with them. Um, on the team was the lead physician of this cancer center, and he had a long uh, and I think pretty well-deserved reputation as just being a curmudgeon. I think he was surrounded by all of the ravages of his work on a daily basis that he had become um, hard and skeptical and cynical and all of the, all of the things that you could understand but that weren't really helpful. So somehow he decides that he'll be on part of this team. The first time he comes, he says, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't believe in this kind of crap, but I know we're building a new cancer center. And I said, I'd be open. I mean, you know, just the whole thing of every way that you could say, I'm not playing in this. And by the end of the time, he was leading all the most inspirational parts of the work. Wow. So we go to the opening of the cancer center and a woman who I didn't know comes up to me and says, are you Gary Adamson? I said, yeah, we had our Sterize and vests on. So I, she could narrow me down a little bit easier. And she says, I have a question for you. What have you done with my husband? Wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, ma'am, it, it would be a good thing to know who your husband is. <laughs> and so I took a couple of, uh, steps backwards, and it turns out that her husband was this physician. And he says, I don't know what you did to him, but he's a better spouse, he's a better father, he's not just a better doctor. And she throws her arms around me and gives me a tearful thank you. Wow. Now, I helped that work. But Dr. Miller is the one that had to do the work. Did the work. And uh, so those kind of things wow. really tell you we're on the right track. We also 
keep journals in the room at Sterizen. So whenever we're having a bad day at Sterizen, and even though we've been describing it in all these vibrant tones, like any other human enterprise, there are challenging days. All we have to do is gather up the journals and sit around and read what people have said because they're not like bed and breakfast journals where they say, oh, the view was great and the food was <laughs> wonderful. But they are the stories of people changing their life and committing to never go back. And so when you see that you're getting that, that feeds you the energy that you need to do this work. And the energy that it takes to do this is a lot. And so um, it's kind of a virtuous loop that way. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing those. I mean, that, uh, um, wow. And when something has that, the, the, the reach of the ripple effect. Yeah. That, it, it, uh, that a guy's wife notices he's different. That, that is transformation. To go back to Joe Pine's chapter. In yeah, the it is. That it's, is transformation. And this doctor was the customer. Right. I mean, he was transformed. Absolutely. I love and it. He, and he started in a most skeptical place. Yeah. And he was right on the border of being cynical, but he made some decision in some part that he was just going to be open a little bit. And you never know, people take this up at different rates in the different ways. Something that helps one person isn't helpful at all to another, but there was something that happened. And then something really happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are great moments. Hmm. Gary, our time's coming to a close here. I, I, I would love talking for another two or three hours, but we just can't do that. What gives you hope that the future of work will be different on a larger scale? Oh, man. A grander scale than the, the folks you're able to touch directly through Sterizen. It's already written in the book, Kevin. <laughs> it's already here. There are so many trends yeah. that are pointed that way that it's just a matter of how fast can we interpret it into the present moment. Because when you look at how people are dissatisfied with their work, when you look at the new version of young people wanting a job that doesn't just feed their family, but feeds their soul. Yeah. When you look at all of the things that businesses are now um, asked to render the authentic, not just faster, better, cheaper, but what is your purpose as a business? How do you contribute to the larger world is a major buying reason for people to, um, purchase one product or service over another. When you look at the, I think the, the statistics behind the statistics, that number that I've thrown out a couple of times, about two thirds of the people are disengaged from their work. That's a terrible thing and companies are really worried about that. Of course they should be. But the real tragedy of that statistic is, where do you spend the most amount of your waking hours? If you're disengaged from your work, you're disengaged from your life. That's the tragedy of it. And I think more and more people, uh, because they have seen that they can be a larger influence in the world through the technology that co uh, connects them to the world, aren't willing to make that trade any longer. So I could give you about eight more on the trend line. And if only half of them are true, yeah. it has to be. And so it's just, we went from agricultural commodities to products that were manufactured to services to experiences and that next level of business as transformation, transformation. is what's coming 
it's already here and it's going to be a lot more. So I, 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 um, I wish I was a little younger to spend more time in that future, but we're helping to get it started and all the people who come after us. Um, it won't be easy, but there will be a lot more of it. You know, Gary, one thing, I, I mean, I am so grateful that my dad, who was born in 1919, so, you know, if he were still alive, he'd be closing in on 100 years. But my dad taught me and, and by model, uh, modeled it, not just in word, but what he did. You got to love what you do because he walked mm -hmm. away from a secure job to go do his entrepreneurial thing. Mm -hmm. Because you spend most of your waking hours working, what you just said. And, and I love the way you said it. If you're disengaged from work, Hey, that you're disengaged from life. You can't yep. not be. It, it's got to have that impact. So that tells us we've got two thirds of the people walking around as zombies that need an awakening. Yes, and need to come to life. So I want to ask you before we go, what what encouragement would you offer to a business leader who's very early in this journey and they're just beginning to imagine what their organization might look like when they, you know, blend the personal and organizational discovery of purpose. What, what would you say to them to encourage them to continue that journey? <laughs> wow. Hard to pick the, the most important thing. I think that someone new in this probably has it, the feeling of, oh my heavens, how could I ever embark on that because I've got so many problems around me. I got all these things to solve. So maybe when I do all these things, then I can do this transformation thing. I would advise them that that's, there'll never be a time when you can start if that's the requirement. And probably I'd leave them with a the simple um, suggestion that they should become an apostrophe. Okay. And they would look at me like, okay, yeah, what, what on earth does that mean? And I would say just, it, it might seem like doing this work is an impossibility. I mean, with all the things going on. An impossibility, if you just look at that word, it's a huge word, it's a daunting word, it's a stop you in your tracks, mm -hmm. here and no farther kind of word. And then if you take that little piece of punctuation, probably the most misused piece ever, the apostrophe, and just drop it in really carefully between the I and the M, mm. suddenly a transformation happens, and it's I'm possibility. And if you can start with yourself, there's none of this that's impossible, and just go and do, and you will see it everywhere. That's what I would tell them. Wow. Well, what a way to wrap this up. Now, Gary, I know that there are people that are are wanting to learn more. And there are people, as I said, we're going to put the, the link to the video in the show notes, but where do people go to learn more about this? Well, we have made our website, uh, sterizen.org, uh, a literal immersion in these five futures. We've put a lot of educational material there that wherever you are intersecting with it, um, you'll find resources and also hopefully some provocations that if you take them up, you will discover things of your own. We're big believers that education is, well, it's root word of the root word of education is a duco, which means to draw out. I think people already know this stuff. It yeah. just needs to be drawn out. And that's, that's probably a great place to begin. And then just follow the various places, podcasts like this one, and be with other people 
who are doing their best to intentionally design their life. And when you do that, you'll have more than enough. Well, Gary, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It was great to talk to you. Hey, while we're on this topic of transformation, let me ask you something before we go. What's got you stuck at work right now? Whatever it is, I want to help you get unstuck. Whether it's about your role, your future with the company, your team, or the environment you're working in. I'm inviting you to join me for a free laser coaching session. This is not a sales call. This is a 15-minute session that's laser-focused on you and helping you get unstuck. You can book your call now by going to kevindmonroe.com forward slash work. I can't wait to talk to you. Until next time, live, love, and lead with purpose. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. And remember, you can get your free 15-minute laser coaching call by going to kevindmonroe.com slash work. He'll help you get unstuck in your business.